So today's guest on my inaugural episode of the new Reading People podcast is Alex Falcone. And Alex is a comedian and writer who lives in Portland, Oregon, like me. And he won Portland's Funniest Person this year, which is a pretty competitive contest, as there's a lot of comedy talent in Portland these last few years. Alex has appeared on the show Portlandia a few times and at numerous comedy festivals. He's also got a parody novel, which is a young adult romance called Unwrap My Heart. And it's about a high school girl who falls in love with uh, not a vampire this time, but a very sexy mummy. So in addition to all this, he's most known in my house as the guy who's been teaching my wife, Molly Elwood, at some of the stand-up comedy classes he does. Uh, so hi, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hi there. That's a um, most known for teaching your wife is kind of a weird <laughs> phrase, Well, to but... me, but yeah, need, need some, might need some con- more context there. But was that a good rundown of your main, major accomplishments? It was great. It was, almost, it was almost verbatim from my website, but with like enough, enough personal touches. Right. Might sound a little familiar to you. I, I recognize that. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's see. Were you out late last night by any chance doing stand-up comedy? I was. Yeah, sorry about that. It was a. Uh, it was really just a, like we had a normal show that ended around like ten or ten thirty, and then some com- old friends were in town, so we stayed up all night talking about comedy. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's why we're doing this the the comedian time of one thirty in the afternoon. Right. The the that's both the poker player and the comedians. Uh, yeah, morning. also a good yeah, poker time. A, yeah, <laughs> poker morning. Yeah. So. Let's start out with uh, some questions, since this is the first episode of this thing, uh, just to give people context. So I'm going to ask Alex about you know, how reading people, how reading people's behavior comes in handy in his profession in, in comedy. You're not so, going to talk about how it's coming handy in your life first? Or like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to direct you. It's your show. Never mind. Sorry. Sorry, Sam. Sorry. <laughs> we, you know, we, can, we can save that for another, another episode, or I'll, or I'll come on your, your podcast. Yeah, that's true. You should talk oh, about it. That's right. Alex has a podcast, too, I should mention. I have so many things. It feels just like a list of stuff that I'm doing, and none of it's <laughs> yeah. great. It's like I have a lot of okay stuff. What's your podcast called again? The podcast is called Read It and Weep, and it's uh, people pay us to watch movies that they want to hear my opinion on. Uh, it used to be all bad stuff and then we decided we deserve to be happy. So now it's usually like we pick a theme, like it's jungle themed movie month. And then people who donate to the show get to choose what we're going to watch. So it's just a weird adventure through movies. And I don't know anything about movies, but my friend Anthony Lopez, who's also a comic, he does. So that's kind of what we got kind of a goofus and gallant vibe to it. Oh yeah. Alec, he's, he's a very funny guy. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen him perform a good amount too. Yeah. Okay. So let's start out with, and so emailing with you a little bit before the show, my first thought that was that reading people in comedy and stand-up comedy could be broken down into two categories, basically mm-hmm. reading the crowd as a whole and kind of reading individuals when you're doing one-on-one interactions. So we'll talk a little bit about those things first. And then, then at the end of that, after that, I want to talk to you about how doing comedy has maybe made you a better reader of people in your social and you know professional situations. So, That's great. Uh, so let's start out. I'll start out with a quote that you sent me via email where you said essentially the following. Every joke is about reading a series of crowds and making judgments based on that. Every joke is funny or not because of crowd readings. And then during shows, adjusting that based on how you're reading the room and what they want. So if I'm understanding what you said correctly, it sounds like you're saying, even before you're in front of a crowd, when you're working on your comedy by yourself, you're always thinking about the psychology of your audience, how it will be perceived by the population as a whole. Is that what I was understanding when you said that? Yeah, totally. Is that correct? I think that's a great way to uh, great way to say it. I I mean, it's basically every uh, every joke is a theory, and then you test that theory uh, with the with an audience. So you're like, my theory is if I say these words in this order, people are going to laugh, and then you test that theory every night, 
and based on whether or not they laugh or not or how they react you adjust your theory and then you try another one so it's it's just a a series of guess and checks and so a lot of comics i think do it very subconsciously where it's like you just success or fail change something success or fail and then you do that a thousand times and eventually you get to a very successful theory and then that's your joke that you take on the road and i because i teach it and i just the way i like to approach problems i think of it i think i think of it a little more explicitly than that where i i try to think like this is what i'm this is what i'm trying to accomplish and am i accomplished not just making people laugh but also like here's how i want them to feel at every point along this this journey and then i have to like in the moment of telling the joke decide if they're responding the way i expect them to be responding for that emotional part of the joke and then right it's almost like you're it's almost like you're modeling uh, an audience in your head, you know, with all these experiments you're running, basically, if you think of every, every set as an experiment where you're testing out whether your view of what's funny actually aligns with, you know, the average crowd's view of what's funny. And the, and the more you do it, the more your internal model of the various types of audiences you encounter are, are become more accurate. Absolutely. There's one tiny quibble that I would have is just that I, I, it's, I think it's totally normal from the outside to think of it as whether or not it's funny. And I, the way I try to think of it, it's not whether it's funny. I know it's funny because I liked it. I laughed at it. So it has like, it's already succeeded in its first audience. That's why I wrote it down. So really what I'm testing is not, is this funny? It's, am I showing the audience why I thought it was funny? So it's, right, it's not right. about whether, like, like also saying something is or is not funny is a, a weird way of making this subjective thing seem objective. And it's not, it's just, I know that I like this and have I shown you why you, why I like it enough that you will also like it. And so when I just right. work, it's not like, Oh, this is not funny or I'm not funny. It's like, I'm not communicating well enough right now. Yeah, that's a real good point. It makes me think of Twitter and how, you know, Twitter is such a constrained uh, place to construct a joke. And it's like you can see the difference between phrasing the same idea slightly different ways can completely kill the joke because it's just not communicating. Even though the idea might be completely the same, it's just if you're communicating it slightly off kilter, then the audience is not receiving what you see as funny in the joke. Right? Yeah, I mean, Twitter is basically just the world's largest open mic. And just like open mics, it's largely toxic. <laughs> uh yeah it makes me think what you, what you said there it makes me think of how you know writers are kind of building audiences in their minds or you know they might already have them good writers might already have them built in where they kind of have this sense of how will this they're, they're seeing the communication from other people's perspective all the time you know they're weighing it like how will this person see it how will this person see it how will this kind of kind of person see it yeah and you know as somebody you know, having written a, i wrote that novel last year and you mentioned and it's so horrifying to do long-term creative stuff when you've been doing stand-up for a long time because like you create this model of an audience in your head when you write a book and then you put it out in the world and if you find out you were wrong it's too late that's your book <laughs> like I, right. I'm used to taking a joke and trying it a thousand times before I decide if uh -huh. it's good or not. And with a book, you get like, you know, four friends and two editors to read it. And you're like, I have to hope that this was that you guys are right, that this was representative. And that's terrifying to me, especially because like, sometimes it's bad. And you're like, this is too late. We just spent a year of my life, two years of my life working on this thing. It's not great. <laughs> or it's not communicating right, which is what I should try to be careful with what I'm saying. It's not communicating the way I want it to be. Uh, oh, well, maybe the next one's better. Right. And that's, that's so horrible. And so like what I constantly want to do is take my novel like offline and, and make a series of line edits and put it up and see if the reviews change and then do it again. And just because I'm so used to being able to iterate. 
Yeah, I think, I think you could do that. You know, I think with print on demand, I mean, especially you can do a second revision or a third revision. You certainly you could, know? although I think at some point somebody would be like, why do I have volume 97 of this novel? <laughs> yeah, like, of this novel? Yeah, yeah. Hey, most people aren't going to even notice, you know. Yeah, I, but, I, but uh, I, I enjoy that aspect of the short form, too, is that I get to, they had to test it so much more. Also, although you, you're using some great scientific language about uh, running this experiment, but I think scientists would be horrified by comedy as experiment because... <laughs> um, I'm testing 200 variables at a time that like every time. So I'm testing, is this, I, I changed three words in this joke and I'm testing that, but I have no, like I also might've been talking faster or slower. I might be smiling right. or not smiling. You know, I'm tired or depending on my, so many variables, yeah. a million yeah. things, there's just yeah. so many knobs at any time. And that's why you have to do a lot of volume to sort of like hope that you're equalizing that. I mean, the stakes are pretty low too. So if it's like, Oh, I just, I delivered this differently five times and it only worked twice. I don't know what's wrong with it. I'll just write a new joke and then you start over. So like if the stakes are low at least, but it gives, it gives me an idea for a uh, black mirror where you're a comedian in the future running simulations of your <laughs> stand up comedy set mi millions of times, you know, until you're like, you become, you become a master, uh, comedian overnight i or do something, feel you know? like there is yeah there is some sort of like robot comic that is going to be able to do that in a way and it's where like it's easy to think that that's whole, like what a silly idea that you could genuinely get good at that is like i just have this robot in a simulated comedy environment who tells this thing uh, over and over and over again until it's actually really really funny Right, or they just reach these weird, you know, un unforeseen solutions to comedy where they say these outlandish things that no human would have thought of, and people are just dying laughing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a, <laughs> some artificial intelligent approach to approach to comedy that nobody can see coming. So interesting, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So anyway, let's get on to the uh, behavior a little yeah. bit. Uh, so moving on to uh, reading crowds, let's talk a little bit about how a crowd's behavior or the vibes in a crowd can influence how you approach things. Uh, if uh, can you think of anything offhand, off the top of your head, that where two very different crowds might completely sway how you approach a set you're doing? Well, it's not that I have to make an absolute decision about anything. Like I'm constantly tweaking as I'm talking as well. I'm I'm changing in the moment. So like uh. Uh, I'm constantly changing gears and talking slower or faster or adding things or changing the jokes that I'm going to tell. Um, the, like the beginning of his autobiography, Steve Martin said like his main memory of doing standup was having your brain and your mouth be in two different places all the time. And it, it's really what happens when you start, when you've done it for a while is I'm, I'm telling the joke, but it doesn't take any, I don't need any brain cycles to tell the joke. Cause I've done it a lot of times before. So mostly I can spend that time looking at people making decisions based on that like should i should i change what i was planning on doing or just how i'm doing it do i need to be more like i don't know this audience seems kind of quiet maybe they want me to be just a little slower and a little more chill because if i'm yelling at them they'll be intimidated or they're kind of rowdy and they want me to yell at them and give them more of a uh a tough love and like so i'm constantly doing those little things or i mean it's not always productive i'm also doing totally unproductive things like i'll pick one person in the audience and be like this person hasn't laughed at anything all i care about is him and then i'll spend the whole night just trying to figure out how to get that guy to laugh and if he doesn't then i'll feel devastated no matter how the rest of the show went what are some things you you look for before you even go on stage to know what a crowd might be like uh so you know when you're behind stage is it important to see how a crowd's reacting to the to the jokes of the guy in front of you yeah um like there's certainly a, a risk of over analyzing a crowd before you go out that is that I, I tell a lot of young comics like it's, it's easy to 
prejudge an audience and then be wrong. And that's a good way to like uh, do a bad job is by assuming that an audience wants certain things. But there's definitely like the main thing that I look for right now is just age. So um, I had a, a class graduation show recently and the person who brought by far the most friends to her graduation show was a woman in her 80s. And so like half the crowd was her friends. And so for me, that doesn't mean they're not like it doesn't mean I have to change a lot of things. But certainly all of my jokes that have references to movies from the early 90s are not going to land as well with them. Um, also it's more important with a crowd like that, that I try to win them over from an early on. Cause it, like, if I come out and I start talking about something, uh, dirty, they might be like, Oh, this, what a, what a nasty boy. So I might like front load my set with a couple of things that I, where I say something nice about my wife or I talk about like how much I like children or something that just makes them think, Oh, what a nice boy. And then right. later I can just use that up. trust. Right. Right. But like I, I know I have to win them over. So like the age is certainly a big part of it. Um, drunkenness is also crucial. If a crowd is real rowdy, then uh, I'm going to do shorter jokes that I can keep their attention better. Um, and I'm not going to if I like if they talk during my set, I'm not going to take it personally because I know they're not able to control their volume very well. Um, uh, and a lot of the time, like because I do a lot of like weekends where you do an early show Friday and a late show Friday. And the, the late show is always going to be rowdier uh also more tired so like i'm gonna make some adjustments based on on that to try to make it easier for them because what i don't want to do is if i just assume every crowd is exactly the same then i come out and i start doing the joke and it's not working then i think oh i'm i'm failing right now instead of like oh they're just tired so i just need to talk a little slower bring them in and this is like they don't know how much the other crowd laughed so i just need to talk to them at their level and have them make sure they have a good time for what they're expecting mm-hmm. is there something that comes to mind where you completely changed your approach based on a really unusual crowd does anything like that come to mind where you just did a did a very different style than you were used to um yeah i should have a great example for this but uh right now they're all blurring together i i can think of one of the things that i can i i think that happens a lot is that i don't have to change the whole thing but just like individual moments and and just make sure everyone's on board so like for example uh, i did a a show with a friend of mine uh recently where we did a, a fundraiser for a high school and uh, he has a joke that he's been doing for a while about how his parents got divorced and how his dad did all these stereotypical divorced dad stuff, like buying a Corvette and stuff. And uh, when we got to this, we didn't know that it was a religious high school. And so when he said, uh, how many of you have divorced parents? No one clapped. And it was, I've never seen, normally it's like 50, 60% of people in the audience have divorced parents. And right. he, he says, and, and it was, I just had to watch him like his face fell and he panicked for a half a second. But then the joke works the same instead of being, then you're just telling people a unique story instead of a universal one. So instead right. of like, you all know how right. dads buy corp. He's like, well, here's what you don't know. Your dad is just like one divorce away from owning a Corvette. And as soon and so he tells the story now is like this, he's the unique weirdo and they still love it. You just have to present it. What what doesn't work is if you present something weird as if it's everybody. So if you're like, you all right. know how, and then you say something that no one's ever done, you'll <laughs> lose them. Right, right. Uh, so what kind of, uh, are there specific body language or verbal things you look for when you perform? Like uh, any any signs that you get? that a crowd's not feeling things. Does anything pop out? Uh, you know, I guess it's some of the obvious stuff that we would all know to look well, for. So you look for, I, I mean, obviously like laughing and not laughing and talking and stuff and crossed arms are a good indication of what 
people are going to be like um one thing that i i think i've noticed that probably a lot not a lot of people realize is um there's a thing that happens when people are on the early side of dating so they've been like less than a year together where they go to comedy shows together and they will constantly glance at each other to see if the other person is laughing and and if the other person is not laughing they will not laugh so they're constantly gauging whether it's okay in this relationship to laugh at certain jokes. So if I do a show and I see a lot of people glancing at each other during jokes, it's like, oh, this is def- this is a lot of younger people on dates. And so for them, I'm probably not going to talk about a lot of deep relationship stuff. I want to talk about things that they're not, there's going to be non-controversial to these younger couples. Um, mm. uh, and that also happens at like corporate events where you'll see people like looking at each other. They'll all be looking at the one the yeah, they're all looking at the boss. Like, are we allowed to laugh at this joke, boss? Let me find out. Right. So you, right. you can kind of watch where yeah. people are checking in, and with that that one in particular, it's usually effective to just talk about it, and which is, I know from the like the poker world, you're going to get a lot of if you get information on somebody, you're going to keep it to yourself for the most part. Uh, but in comedy, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, everyone's looking at that guy. I'm like, is this the boss? Why is everybody looking at him for permission to laugh? <laughs> and that in itself will be funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. I, I often wonder about how those corporate events go because I can just see so many opportunities for weird, you know, because the workplaces can be so uh, on edge about what can they say and what can be so funny. Broad. So Yeah, absolutely. So for I mean, yeah. for them, though, if I talk about like uh, kids and dogs and like you could I can talk about more universal stuff. I'm not going to here's where I'm going to talk about consent. You guys, I'm not going to like bring out my <laughs> important big guns for them uh, and that which that's why some comics don't like to do that sort of thing. Uh, I am, I'm fine changing gears cause I have a couple of other gears to go into. So I'm like, whatever it's your nickel. If you want me to talk about someone else, we will. I'm not confrontational. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of a new niche for you or another comedian where you are the, the HR comic <laughs> where you come in after weird things have happened and you make a, make a funny, funny uh, bit about, you know, like somebody said something inappropriate and, you know, I don't know. I just I went, one thing I did was I uh, I was in I did some corporate uh, improv comedy back in the day before I was a stand up and uh, we got hired one time to do a it was it was a warehouse like Christmas party and the uh, CEO announced right before introducing us that they were laying off ten percent of the staff and then they're like and now comedy like so our like the no whole point was for us to distract from the fact that a bunch of people were about to lose their job oh at Christmas. God. Uh, uh, wow. so that one like and there's no there's no saving that then sometimes uh I, it's better to see oh this crowd is a lost cause i'm just gonna have fun for me and go home this one's just a picture <laughs> yeah really yeah just yeah just do whatever you feel like yeah, and be like uh i'm probably not yeah. coming back here <laughs> this is never gonna happen again this is not good for any of us let's uh let's just mess right. around also with corporate comedy a lot of the time though they like talking about stuff that is relevant to them they like talking about their work environment so if i if I am doing a corporate event and it seems like a lot of people work for the same, if everyone's working for the same company or something, or everyone's talking, like I'm going to ask the boss a question or ask them something about their, their lives. And then I'm going to do more crowd work because it's about them. And so they'll be really enthralled with it. Now you said something about crossed arms yeah. and I know for most people that's, you know, that's perceived as somebody who's not engaged, somebody who's kind of not wanting Certainly. to be there. I know that's the general perception, right? Do you, and, and I've, I've often thought that's kind of like, overplayed like some people just like to cross their arms because they're comfortable yeah, it's doing really it depending on your so, body uh, type i have kind of a, a shelf right. for my arms to sit on right there so it's kind of nice yeah because I, I i find myself doing that in situations and i'm like oh i shouldn't do that because people perceive that as being standoffish do, do, do you think it really uh in, in a comedy context do you 
do you generally perceive it as pe- being people people being closed if off and not a lot engaged? of people with their arms crossed then i usually assume something else uh-huh. has happened I, I feel like something is going on with right. everybody and that's where it gets this is where i spend more time doing even slightly subtler investigations into is when i'm not the only comic and i haven't seen what everybody else has done so if i come out and there's a lot of crossed arms i might think <laughs> oh somebody else messed up like like so then i have to investigate <laughs> from stage without making it obvious like who hurt you and yeah yeah what are there frowns are there yeah, yeah is somebody and so if, yeah. if that happens basically like, usually the easiest thing to do there to win everybody over is just do something fun quickly and just show oh i'm safe i'm not that other person i'm going to actually be funny here or especially in portland you get a lot of audiences where somebody said something um that the audience perceived as racist or sexist or something and if i just show early on that i'm woke enough for them you know i tell i tell some right. then, that maybe then that's when i do tell a joke about consent and then i win everybody to my side and they're like oh this one's this guy's okay uh, right, so right. The, the cross arms like individually is not a big deal also you know I definitely see comics who see like someone in the front row with crossed arms and they'll start like going after them. And, uh, mm. you know, sometimes someone has a real terrible day and they still have to go on this date that they agreed to. And so like, if you're not <laughs> enjoying yourself, it might not be for me to investigate. That might only make it worse. So I try to only do when it's like larger group behaviors. I was just thinking you must have this kind of comedians must kind of develop the sixth sense of reading a crowd, you know, when you come out and, like you talked about seeing a certain number of arms crossed, there must just be this whole kind of radar that you have, even if it, uh, even unconsciously where you just automatically pick up that the crowd is, you know, some percentage are crossing their arms. There's like some tight faces that don't look not non loose faces. And, you know, you must just kind of pick that up really quickly. You, you, you learn to pick that stuff up really quickly, you know, right. I when think you people walk who out. are good at comedy have that to, to some extent, or they wouldn't have gotten where they are. Um, but definitely, cause I'm still, you know, I'm a, like a pro am kind of comedian. So I, I still do, I'm doing a lot of local bar shows with up and coming people. And a lot of them do not have any idea how they're coming across and uh they will so they just don't know why things aren't working so they'll be like oh man that crowd was really tight that was like what a bad crowd and well they were great for me do you think maybe it was the open with something kind of racist and didn't like you the whole time so like you're there's definitely people don't all have that especially because there's like a lot of people in comedy who have social anxiety and i don't know why that is but a lot of people social anxiety come into comedy and so it's a lot of people who are not good at reading rooms generally and then they're like, but and I came in here to talk about whatever I want. And so then they'll just alienate the crowd and not know what has happened. Um, right. It's my thing. I don't I don't have to conform yeah, to anyone. Yeah, there's a lot of that yeah. kind of uh, <laughs> attitude from people who are bad at reading crowds. And it does end up with just people making the crowd feel weird and they don't know why. And like when I'm booking people to do a show with me, that's one of the things that I look for the most is people who like clearly can tell how they're coming across. Because uh, if you don't know um like uh, an example i like i had a student for a little while who uh used to be a drug dealer and he had this great story about this uh that started with him like uh smoking pills behind a closed blockbuster and it was a very funny story and then he like cleaned up his life and went and became a personal trainer and he like left comedy came back six months later in great shape shaved his mustache he's like tan bronze beautiful, beautiful skin and then he would start telling the same story and the audience hated it it was a very funny story, but it sounded like a lie because he just didn't realize that he came across as an Adonis now and less as a as a scumbag. And so and that's totally a like a, a fixable thing where you just say, look, I know I look like a personal trainer right now, 
but actually I used to have this life. And then you tell the same story and it works way better because you, you know why it's not working. And part of that is just in like right. just trying it and you see a few times it's not working. Also, sometimes it's just like somebody else points out like, oh, by the way, you never noticed this. But when you say it, this is how I hear what you're saying. This is how I interpret it. And then that mm-hmm. changes your opinion. So like a lot of times you have a joke that's funny to you because you have this perfect train of, you know, a thousand different facts in your head. And because of that train joke. But if you take one car out of the middle, it's not the train doesn't work. Any, and this is not a great metaphor. But like you take one piece out of the middle, the the whole thing <laughs> falls apart, and the and so the audience doesn't know all those thousand things about you. So if they're missing one or two pieces right, of information, right. so a lot of time early on, you tell a joke and people don't laugh, and the the intuition is oh the joke's not funny enough. But really, it's that the setup isn't clear enough. The, right, they don't see they don't see what's in your head because it, it's kind of like uh, the the elephant in your own mind. Uh, it's kind of like you. They're not seeing the the small elephants that are in your own uh, in your own room in your are mind. Are you sure the they're, small elephants is a better metaphor than train cars? I mean, we could combine it like the small elephants train. on the train. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I know what, exactly what you mean because, like, you know, I I, I I try my hand at my amateur comedy on Twitter, like mm-hmm. everybody does, and sometimes sometimes I have something that I think is ingenious and funny, and I'll do it, and it's just crickets and i'm like when i think about it more it's like oh they weren't seeing it from the same way and i left out kind of an assumption of something totally. that was in my mind right yeah and yeah and I'm when sure you're performing must... you have this ad all these added variables so you could just like oh this joke didn't work all of a sudden that's worked a thousand times and then i go back and listen to the recording of it and it's like oh i just like was kind of mumbly mouthed and i crammed these two words together and so they the audience missed the whole setup or it sounded like i said something else and so just by some complete fluke i like or i coughed or something during the setup and all of a sudden the whole thing crumbles <laughs> and that is a, a very frustrating thing that you have to be ready for early on it's like this is okay but we'll figure out what happened we'll just do it better next time we still got a lot more tries so uh let's move on to talking about individual people like do when you're doing crowd work or when you're you know, getting heckled intentionally or un- unintentionally uh, yeah. how much uh, how much is your approach dictated by things you read about them like their level of anger their level of you know potential belligerence their level of uh drunkenness or whatever or uh yeah i mean drunkenness is the crucial one for crowd interaction because if somebody is intoxicated uh you are not going to have a productive argument with that person (laughs) if somebody like wants to tell you their opinion and it seems clear that they're drunk they're unable to listen and process things uh i'm gonna shut that down real fast Mm -hmm. uh and because otherwise i'm just gonna like i've just taught a drunk person that this is a talking show and that's not going to help anybody. And it's not going to help me. It's going to help the people after me. Right. So, uh, yeah, being able to tell early on if somebody was saying something uh, uh, out of the fun of disruption versus like actually has something to say. Um, also, I, I guess for me, with, with that kind of interaction, um, the the trick that I learned early on that's been very, very helpful is just to actually listen to what they're saying and then try to understand. Because the process of you even struggling, I was like, no, no, no. So, okay, what are you saying? But why did you yell unicorns? I heard that you said <laughs> that, but why did you think that was helpful? Like, just the actual process of honestly trying to understand will be very funny to the rest of the audience. And if you never get there, you're like, I'm never going to get this. We have to move on. Or if you're like, oh, I see. I did mention a little while ago that I like like unicorns and you have a unicorn tattoo and you thought I had to know that. <laughs> Thank you. And then you just go back to me like just the process of listening to them. Uh, that's not really about reading somebody's individual traits. It's as much as just uh, 
instead of assuming you know what people are doing, actually hearing them out and then deciding whether or not to move on. So it's funny. Um, And you might teach them something about maybe don't you look like an idiot, you know? Yeah, almost immediately. If you if you actually listen to them, then they're like their bravery goes away. Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm being focused on now. And yeah, yeah. I wanted a little bit of attention, but not this much attention. <laughs> right. Or they don't know. A lot of the time it's like people who just like they are a little drunk and they like it's kind of like slips out and then they're like, oh, God, I'm so embarrassed. Or they start talking and then the person next to them elbows them. Um, so like and a lot of that is is, is very general. I w- I'm trying to think of something more specific for you of like what you notice in a person when you're talking to them. Um, uh, one thing that I, I, I can do is you can use a little bit of individual type crowd work to figure out a, a, a greater problem. So like one thing that happened to me uh, a couple months back was I was doing a show and I joke that almost always works. Um, which is about uh, uh, men in the uh, gym locker room who use the hand dryer to uh, blow dry their balls. Uh, very good joke. Always successful. And uh, it was it did not work all of a sudden. And that the crowd like looked uncomfortable when I said it. And so I stopped and I was like, why, why are you guys mad at me right now? And it turned out that just someone else in the show had a similar joke and I hadn't heard it. Mm. So... So what happens is everyone got tense and I could tell they were tense, but just like, you know, in just like if you're reading poker people, you can yeah. tell someone's nervous, like, but you don't know what that means. Yeah. yeah. Like, so like, I know that you're upset, but I, that could mean that you're upset because you want me to do a, or because you want me to do B. And so with this was like, I know you guys are tense, but what are you upset? Because this is offensive because I said something on accident that I didn't mean, uh, or, and it just turns out they were like, Oh, this is, did you not hear uh dan's joke it's very similar uh and it wasn't even that similar it was just like also took place in a gym but it was enough that they were like does he not know is he gonna get like is there gonna be a fight with that other comic about this joke does he know he's stealing jokes or something yeah yeah and so all i and all i had to say was like oh yes uh i also he goes to the gym i guess this is a comp i guess that guy or I, i think i said something like i guess that guy goes to his gym as well and then everyone's like oh great so you figured you, you figured it out during the set though huh yeah, yeah. So I no, I asked people. Asked so I was people, like, "Why? Like, Wait, what, what, what's the problem?" <laughs> and I looked at this lady in the front row and I was like, "Why are you so? Why is everybody mad at me right now?" And she was like, "Oh, did you not hear the other set?" It's weird. Like, yeah, sorry, no, green room. I didn't hear it. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So that's wow. another. I like for me in a way again that doesn't work as well in poker. I could just ask people like, "Why are you mad at me?" <laughs> right, right. And yeah, like kind of racist. I'm like, oh, totally. I oops, I'm sorry. Here's what I'm going to do instead. So that's you good- could just interview them. Yeah, that's a good that's a good anecdote i like that yeah like you you, you kind of like yeah fished fished for you know what what exactly is going on here uh, yeah because they they sometimes know they don't always know but normally uh a crowd like it's it'll behave as a group and yet individuals will know exactly why it's happening it's a it's a fascinating phenomenon with stuff like that so i've got a question about uh sitting down in the front row do most people know that they're uh, is it perceived, do you think, in the general population that when people get a seat up front, they're kind of signing up for, uh, you know, <laughs> being picked on? Because I feel like that's how most comedians treat it. And I think that's how a lot of comedian goers treat it. But I'm just wondering, do you think that's like widely, widely accepted that that's like and that's why they, you know, go after the front row more often? Man, it shows so that you're it shows that you're brave, I guess, it, it can, even if you don't know the the shorthand it's of so comedy. strange because uh like a lot of comedy clubs sell the front row as a VIP experience. Like they charge more for it. Mm-hmm. And so if you had never gone to a comedy show and you go to the website and you're like, well, 25 
and I might be in the back or 35 to sit up close. Well, in a music show, it's better to see, you know, or to play. I want to sit up close. So they like, well, I'll spend more to sit up close. And then they realize that the comics can only see the front two rows because the lights are. So then that you're who they're going to talk to. But uh, so I don't think most people know that I, or certainly not all people. I don't know how many people know that that's going to happen. I also think that's a bad thing of comedy that by default they talk like, I mean, there's this perception from the like 80s comedy, which is like, hey, that guy's shirt stupid. You guys come from a bad city. Like <laughs> that kind of comedy made it like at least most of the shows that I attend. Uh, if the if someone talks to you in the front row, uh, if a comic talks to you, it's to ask you questions that are not trying to make like the point is not to make fun of you. The point mm-hmm. is just to get information to riff on to basically mm-hmm. like we're doing an improv scene and you're my scene partner kind of thing. So it's less adversarial. So like if you're sitting in the front row. Well, uh, I mean, what I sometimes people say, like, what's the best answer when someone when a comic asks what your job is like, the best answer is your job. Like, I don't want you to say (laughs) you're in the CIA. That's not funnier for me. Uh, I want you to say that you're an accountant and then I will try to come up with something for that. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like I don't know if everybody knows it. And I also I get mad when comics do like use that to make fun of people as opposed to like. Um, I ask people questions for information. I ask people questions, not just like about the show, but if I'm like, I'm doing a, a thing about millennials and I'll like ask who are millennials and then I'll ask them a question about their experience as a millennial. That like, that's what I want is just, I want some validation of a theory or I want you to contribute a new idea that I can riff on as opposed to I'm here to shit on you because you sat close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought of a question. Have you ever had a situation where uh, uh, a comedy goer was angry at you and you kind of used your reading abilities to see how angry they were and whether they might be kind of like dangerous or cause a problem. And then you, you, you know, you either like kept joking with them and, or making fun of them or laid off depending on, you know, maybe this guy's a little unstable. Maybe I shouldn't interact with him. Uh, not for people being mad at me per se, because I am, uh, as you know, you've seen me perform enough times. I am a generally inoffensive kind of person. Uh, I don't, I don't have the trouble of alienating the audience a lot. Mm-hmm. I do watch a lot of other comics alienate people and then like not read them super well. Um, but uh, I definitely have had the experience where I start talking to somebody and I'm like, they're trying really hard to be funny. So if I say like, Oh uh, you know what, like what do you do for a living? And then they're like, uh, I, I'd tell you, but I have to kill you. Like, okay, this is done. You're you think you have a job <laughs> here uh, and I don't want to be a part of that. You clearly like the attention. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, somebody mm-hmm. yells something and I ask him a question and they just start a, a, a conversation or a rant that I clearly don't want to be a part of. Um, but I don't, I, I, it's so infrequent for me that audiences are mad at me about something mm-hmm. that I don't have to do that very often. It's, it's much more like audiences are either into it or not into it is the, my main thing. And then I have to figure out mm-hmm. why they're not into it, but it's, it, it, which could be, yeah, it could be age. It could be that uh, they don't like me for some other reason, but it's not like, it's not usual that because I'm not I'm just not dancing that line, right? Yeah, there definitely seem to be some comics that enjoy that aspect of it. Like they they, they enjoy you know uh, aggravating at least a certain percentage of their uh, of their population. Oh, yeah, part of the fun yeah. for some, especially if they've been comics have been doing it for a really long time. Sometimes riding the the bull is when it's actually exciting. Um, I I saw Dave Attell here a couple years ago, and there was a where and he just seemed really bored for the first half of the show. He just seemed like he didn't care about what anyone... It was very funny, but it was like just kind of phoning it in. And then somebody yelled something, and I could see a gleam in his eye. Like <laughs> yeah, something he's like, just, something's happening. Yeah, finally yeah, yeah. something different. Because like yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. so bored of 
killing because he's been doing it for so long and he's so good at it that he's like, I want this to be hard. So right. he, he's excited he wants a about challenge. the challenge. And, yeah. and he's also, you know, he's the kind of comic who's like, lock the doors, turn up the lights. I'm going to talk to everybody. Um, <laughs> and uh, so in that case, sitting up front doesn't actually change anything because he'll st- step through the tables to talk to whoever he sees he thinks is going to be interesting. Uh, so I'm going to move on to some real life stuff and you can uh, you can come back to if you think of anything else comedy wise, yeah. we can come back to it. But I was going to ask if you think that doing comedy has made you more emotionally intelligent and perceptive of people's emotions. Do you feel like you read people better now? I yeah. So definitely I'm more perceptive, but like somehow I've gotten emotionally stupider because of it. Like I <laughs> Like it's made me into into kind of a weird uh, sociopath sometimes. Where like I can be in, I'll be in a conversation and I will know I'll be able to like I'll be talking for a little while and then I'll be like, also Aaron doesn't like the story. She's mad at me for this. And then I lost you here. And then the right side of the table, like somebody walked by outside and they're all paying more attention to it. Where it's like <laughs> I, you thought I was talking to you, but I was performing and I was analyzing you. And it turns out in a non comedy situation, if you tell people whether or not they're enjoying something, it never makes them feel better. <laughs> so like the, right. that next step where I take the information, process it and use it to be better is something that I don't do as well off stage as on stage. I usually just be like, I usually just, Oh, you're not having a good time. Or like, Oh, you're, you're distracted by your phone. And what they really want is for you to just keep going and not call attention to it. So, right. Yeah. People, people do not like to feel it like they're being examined and parsed absolutely. for yeah. sure. Yeah. And so I'm better at parsing, but then I'm terrible at that next <laughs> step where I don't. Right. Keeping I, it secret. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I should just use uh, it and be like, how can I win them back? But I don't know that part. Right. Yeah. It's like, it makes me think of, yeah, draw, whenever you draw attention to how a conversation is going, that's a sure way to kill the conversation yeah, by absolutely. referencing the very thing that you're you're doing because people are like oh we were in the moment and now you've made us analyze the things that we were doing without yeah thinking it's, about it's them, like a, you know? a classic thing where you say like oh things have gotten awkward and whether or not they had before they have now <laughs> right exactly and that's yeah and so i Correct. that's yeah. that's the thing that i definitely do more often now i'm just like because i'll be hyper aware of while i'm talking who is reacting and what they're what they seem to be feeling about it and I'll also be mm-hmm. wrong. I'll guess mm-hmm. wrong sometimes. So I'll be like, oh, you got upset at this part in the story. Clearly, you think this about this topic. Um, and then I like, oh, well, great. Now I've uh, and I've guessed wrong. And I'm like, oh, no, sorry. I just was thinking about something else. And I'm thinking about work or like what? Like and now I've made a big, intense situation out of something that's not really intense. <laughs> right. It, make, it makes me think of poker. I, I mean, I feel like poker definitely makes people more uh, sensitive to, you know, paying attention to people's moods and. Uh, you know, just, just looking around and, and seeing when someone's disinterested or someone's, you know, actually enjoying them, enjoying themselves or whatever. Uh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like you definitely have that uh, heightened sensitivity yeah. uh, for, for better or for worse. How much of that do you think is like uh, when people are starting out or even when they get to your level, how much of that is subconscious versus conscious? Are you just like, it's just kind of happening that you're aware of people or are you like, do you know that you're, being aware does that make sense do you know that you're analyzing people i mean i do i i'm aware i don't know how how other people view it and i you know being that i concentrated on the on the tells and behavior i'm definitely more attuned than the average i think but yeah i mean i'm I'm pretty good at like noticing when people are made uncomfortable you know um and i don't know if all that's due to poker or maybe some of that's just due to me being interested in behavior before i get into poker but i'm definitely good at 
you know, noticing like mis miscommunications, like somebody said some says something kind of ambiguous and then somebody seems to have a weird reaction to it. I'm like, yeah. oh, they thought they thought that they said, uh, you know, c c they completely misinterpreted what that person said. So I'm like, I'm really good at picking up those miscommunications and like helping out with that, you know, and. Oh, uh, good. so I'm definitely that's I feel like I'm good at noticing those things and even having theories as to why they thought that. But I'm not good at helping. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're just going to laugh at it. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Or I'll be like, I'll just say I'll, or I'll say something that I think is cute. I'll be like, and obviously Brenda doesn't like this because she's uh, still upset about the breakup. And she'll be like, what? Why? Are you no. Yeah, you're yeah, you're like you're you're analyzing something that you're, you're like Sherlock Holmes. Then you're like you're like oh, and obviously Brenda didn't like that because as we all know, right. she right. had this incident that happened three years ago, and she's like, what? How yeah. do you know about that? Yeah, or there's a there's a an oil stain on her shoe that only comes from one neighborhood in the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When the real the reality of like uh, Sherlock Holmes is that like he's making a lot of probabilistic guesses that even if he's right in aggregate. There's going to be a lot of weird situations where people are like, actually, no, I love right, you. Right. Like, no, you just, it's just very uncomfortable that you're getting that would be a great that that would be a great uh sketch comedy uh show the the one off the uh the outtakes of uh when when Sherlock's wrong, Sherlock. you know, <laughs> Sherlock's really <laughs> elaborate, incorrect theories. Yeah, and then he goes in this long spiel, and they're like, "Actually, uh, it was just this thing that happened to me. It has nothing to do with what you said." And he's like, "Yeah, oh, a lot of the times you'd on. be right, but in this particular case, you're just an asshole." <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. So Sherlock was actually just edited to yeah, we to only, show his yeah, best. Uh, we only his best saw work. his wins. They edited out all the losses. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Uh, John Holmes was a propagandist, basically. Yeah. I mean, what what good is the story of like Sherlock Holmes made people feel uncomfortable, and then it. The murderer confessed, so it worked out fine. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes was really high and went on this on this really weird he tangent that so made hot. no sense. Man, really. he was in, yeah. in, the, in the. Do you read the original books? A little bit, yeah. I read a few of the stories. Like, yeah, he was injecting cocaine the whole series. And that like, does make you really observant, you know. That <laughs> I mean, it it also makes you not focused, and it probably makes you annoying <laughs> to the people around you. It makes you think your screenplay is a good idea. Right. It makes you think you're an amazing detective, even though you might only be a <laughs> mediocre one. It's it's yeah. a great drug. Uh, <sighs> That's anyway, this is about. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, related to that, have you gotten better at reading? Uh, I guess you kind of answered this, but reading real and real and fake laughter and smiles. That's probably a big part of a payoff for you in social or professional situations. Just being like, oh, this person is just pretending. Yeah, I uh, have. Uh, I've made a nerdy study of laughter in a way that uh, most comics don't. But I like I'm very I, I'm very interested in how. Uh, people laugh i'm especially interested in group laughter um well that's so for example there's this there's a people don't just laugh when things are funny uh a lot of people laugh as like a disarming social mechanism so they'll like you'll say something that's not funny and then laugh at it yourself in a way that's like i'm not gonna hurt you can we be friends <laughs> and uh once i noticed that i, I started it started popping up all the time in social situations uh, my wife does it a lot, actually, because she's a very nice person. But she'll be like, hey, good to see you. <laughs> mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. it's not funny at all. But like, so I've got there's that laughter now that I have in a jar that I can think like, anytime I hear her do that laugh. It's not that she's enjoying this. It's just she wants me to like her. And then there's this other laugh where you're actually uh, surprising somebody uh, and you're really catching them off guard. And then, then there's like a then they're like a, a more polite laugh. And then there's also the social thing about laughs is so interesting. Like um, the dynamics of a room really affect how much an audience laughs. So 
the way you build a comedy club has huge impacts on how much uh, the audience laughs and that influences how much funny they think the show was. Mm. So if you have a really low ceiling, the laughs bounce off the ceiling and the, and you so it sounds to the audience like there's more laughter, so they laugh more because there's this same like when I was talking earlier about people like glancing at each other and seeing like is my partner laughing am I okay that if you hear more people laughing you're like oh I'm part of this group we're socially laughing mm-hmm. so you build a good comedy room with a really low ceiling and the crowd packed tightly together because then they hear more social laughs and that makes them laugh more and if you were to ask them afterwards they would say they had a better time than if they were in this they were spread out and just kind of chuckling to themselves mm-hmm. even though it's the same joke so like the laugh also tricks your brain into thinking that it was better than it was so yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So like the one of the best comedy clubs in the country is the Comedy Works in Denver and it's in a basement and it's rocks on the like the rock decorations on the walls. So there's no sound absorption at all. It's very echoey. Um super low ceiling and then they screwed the chairs into the floor so that the chairs are very they're much closer together than anyone would normally sit, but you can't push them apart. Uh and so crowds get in there and they're just packed in and it does not feel comfortable. And the laughter in that room is explosive. And it's one of the mm. most fun places to do comedy because a little joke will get a laugh that just rocks the whole place. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's such a bizarre thing where it's like, I have to make you feel uncomfortable for a second because in the long run, you're going to thank me. Mm. Yeah, it really points to the social aspects of of, of laughter and, and yeah. um, enjoyment. And it's everything. so yeah. much more social than I had ever thought about before. I, I would have said before I started doing comedy, that's like, I laugh whether something is funny or not. And so like when you do a if you put a fake laugh in an audience or you play a laugh track on a show that will not affect whether I think something is funny. I am I'm deciding based on the quality of it, whether it's it's joke is good. And that Mm. is almost entirely not true, because like just the same way, like watching someone cry is one of the things that makes people cry a lot. Watching someone laughs, laugh is funny. It's just it's so contagious so that if I go to a show and everyone's having a great time, every once in a while, everyone's laughing and I'm like, what are you guys doing? This sucks. But most of the time, it's just I will still have a better time if everyone's laughing than if and if I'm just like watching something at home by myself. Right. It helps. Yeah. Uh, Makes me think of that. You know, that those studies they did about audio and film and uh, how if the audio, the the audio has so much uh, the quality of the audio has so much impact on how people view their perception of how they enjoyed a movie or a show, you know, yeah. like if the audio, the audio is, if the audio is off kilter or bad, they'll come out of it and be like, you know, they'll say like, Oh, this plot and this, the script and the acting Absolutely. was so bad, but it's actually due to something they're not even consciously aware of, you know? Yeah. That, uh, and that fun. definitely was, I do a lot of bar shows where like, it's just some, the amp that they had lying around. And if the microphone is cheap, uh, people are not, they're going to lose words and then not laugh as much, or it's just going to sound unprofessional. So they're not going to be as impressed. So having it, like having good sound at a show makes a much bigger, or even if it's like too loud. Uh, I just did the show, this club recently where they just had a, like dance club volumes. And so everyone was kind of shying back the whole time you're talking, like you're yelling at them. And I didn't realize it at first. Cause I was like, I'm not, why is everyone so freaked out? Is this just a weird, uh, there's a weird vibe in here. And then I watched the headliner. And I was like, Oh, it's too loud out here. If they just turned this down, everyone would have 20% better time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's almost all I got. Uh, this might be a, a weird question, but as a comedian, how do you know, uh, how do you read your audience to know when it's the right time to pull out your penis? <laughs> uh, you know what? I learned very early on that nobody is interested in that. That's a weird level of vanity to think like this is something that's going to make some- like no. I mean, even if you're like really into having sex with men, uh, that you, there's no time where you're like man, I just wish 
the penis came out right now. Like, like just like non-contextually, it just never makes a situation better. It's it's so bizarre. It's it it just shows those guys are just on a whole other level of of weird things that we can't even understand. Like, oh yeah, it's it's so far from any sort of behavior I can understand. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's just it's, it's just bananas. Um, I might cut that joke. Yes. Uh, do you I'm think I should, surprised. Do you think I should cut that I was joke? not ready for a joke there. And I was too busy. I was thinking like, I thought you were going to say when it was the right time to end a set. So I started, th- I, I guess what you're going to say and started planning an answer. So I was taken <laughs> aback, but I didn't laugh because I was like, oh, oh, sorry. I got to change gears. Okay. That was a joke process work. Do you think, it, do you think I should cut it out? Am I going to lose the audience with that joke? <laughs> uh, I mean, I would definitely not do that on stage. Uh, you know, this is the thing that I talk about in my, my classes a lot is that there's a kind of joke that like, whether or not it's a, an objectively good joke, you've also just for a second, you've planted the seed in everybody's head. Like, remember how sad the world is? And so even if that joke like is pretty funny, um, you've cast the world's shittiest magic spell on the crowd of just like, Hey, for a second, remember uh, sexual harassment or like, you know, what? Yeah. like let's all <laughs> yeah. think about all the horrible things we've gone through recently. Uh, and then all of a sudden that's, or if you just like, you know, as a glancing in a joke, you glancingly mentioned homelessness, uh, the crowd is going to be mm-hmm. just sad for Deflated. a second. Yeah. So you yeah. just kiss, you just cast a really shitty magic spell over the whole crowd. Well, you know, the, the, the podcast was going so well, I wanted to bring people down, you know, I don't want them going out in the real world. Well, no, here's your real here's your real trouble is uh my answer to that was so good do you have to keep it like, oh, I, to, i'm gonna keep it joke to get my answer to it so, no, yeah, we gotta, yeah it's it's a tough choice I, I think i'm gonna keep it I'm, I'm used to telling bad jokes that i get hate for so um <laughs> it's all right well now you've learned why why that why that's not <laughs> yeah. working i need to take your class uh <laughs> might help uh any other things that come to mind that we didn't talk about any fascinating reading people stories that you have in or out of the comedy world? I had put on, I like, like thought about when I was talking to you about this. Um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Cool. Awesome. Well, I thought it was a good talk and you had some very interesting things to say. So I appreciate your time coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I, I I look forward to it. Good luck on the show. I think it's a a great idea for a podcast and a good way to take your very specific poker skill and make it more applicable. So you can have more than just poker players listening. And you can follow Alex on what's the best place, Alex Falcone, or is it Alex underscore Falcone? I got an underscore on Twitter. I really like Twitter, but I've got no underscore on Insta. So if you like, if you want to see me on Insta, you can do it all smash together. Just Alex Falcone, whatever platform you're looking for, I'll try to be there. Yeah, look for him with or without the underscore. So yeah. Okay. Also, if you're a podcast fan, definitely the podcast is the best place to go. And can you watch uh, your set from Portland Funniest uh, this year? You can. If they want to search you for that. Yeah, that's on my alexfalcone.ninja, which has gotten my videos and such. Cool. cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thank you so much.